it's very very apt very apt analogy because you are now effectively sending a small motorized vehicle or some sort of bipedal vehicle into a human space and this is this i think is my main point i'm actually neutral as to in this regard com competitions between human and artificial knowledge agents and their interactions i'm just pointing out when the machine one collides with a human one, I know who's going to lose. Welcome to the Humanity in the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hampton. My guest today is Rohan Light. Rohan is a public interest technologist with a focus on data governance. Rohan's work is at the intersection of the great potential and potential for great harm that comes with big data and artificial intelligence. This is my second chance to speak with Rohan. I will link to that episode of my earlier podcast in the show notes. Rohan, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, and it is good to be back. And it has been a while. It has been. I'm glad to see both prospering and moving forward. Absolutely. And uh, we, we won't jinx it by saying COVID's over, but it's definitely in the background. So thank goodness for that. Yes, thank I was working on the local uh, COVID response program uh, with the local hospital. In fact, my my local city's hospital. So I was on the front line. I was able, not on the front line, but I was able to see what was happening, and then how we were managing with what was a sudden sudden influx um, of demand. So basically, all of the service delivery. Functions were swamped, and therefore it got tactical very quickly, um, which I'm glad to say that certainly in my country, but I know it's worldwide, that health professionals are excellent in emergency situations. Absolutely. What role were you playing? Was it analyzing data, perhaps? Um, supporting the team, coordinating a set of risks responses. So um, they were shorthanded and I just come off a, another piece of work. So I just dived in there and got stuck in, uh, found things to do, organized things, shortened workflows, reduced problems, shaped the narrative, figured the risk, that sort of stuff. Excellent. So uh, the topic today is largely artificial intelligence, and yep. I know you're very familiar with Google Trends, but for the listeners, Google Trends is a web page that Google provides where you can put in a search term and see how the interest in it has waxed and waned over the years. And it shouldn't come as a great surprise that AI, these, the search term artificial intelligence, is at an all-time high right now, relative to data going all the way back to 2004. What do you think, Rohan? Is this is this a hype? No, this is fear uh, and hype. Uh, I should have said yes and not no. Terrible, <laughs> terrible of me. Yes and it is hype at the top. So we have a lot of heat lifting the market, encouraging people to spend. And then we have a lot of fear of the base and the base of what? The base of society, uh, i.e. where the most people are. So in any, in any segment of society, for any segment of society, some segments will have a hell of a lot of people in and therefore a change that moves through society will have significant out of proportion impacts for these segments. And these segments at the moment are lower to middle management. Uh, people who have possibly worked for 20 years reached their, their apogee uh, a while ago, um, but now are economic sustainers into their family. So actually what we are seeing is the impact of AI, because that's what the buzzword is, to people losing jobs. And critically, in this country anyway, a shift to 
um, targeting these jobs as a proxy for efficiency, when in fact we're possibly incurring significant social debt going forward. So one a quote I saw recently was that um, it always feels like you're reacting early when there's an exponential change. Um, you know that it's it, it because it's going straight up, and you, you you when you're inside the bottle, you can't read the label type of argument that you can't tell yeah. that it, it, when the waves come in, they all look the same height, but there could be one behind it that's incredibly high. You know all these different ways of looking at it. Um, but it occurs to me that maybe some of the hype, uh, and I'm being a little cheeky here, but the the, the chatter that we're hearing about AI is yep. because AI is finally impacting the chattering classes, right? Yes. That that it's it it really is like the people who made all their money in Silicon Valley who started as programmers are seeing, you know, the whites of the eyes of the attacking hordes of automation affecting yes. their own livelihoods. Yes. This is a very good analytic. Let's explore that. Um, imagine that this was a clique of people whom had, for quite a long period of time, become used to um, being price makers mm -hmm. um, with regards to changes because they're used to influencing social and organizational change through software. And now, um, unbeknownst to them, it's crept over the top of the walls, and now it's affecting their world. And I think this is a very good analogy. It does it's... give me pause because uh, I, I will confess that my alarm is higher than usual as well. Probably because I mean, I goodness, I do have a podcast, so I must be part of the chattering class. But it also mm -hmm. makes me it gives me pause when I realize that um, this inexorable uh, um, advance of technology has been affecting other people's jobs for a long time. Yes. And I, I forgive myself a little bit because I think it, it looked like it was coming slower, but I also think that, and this is, you know, like I said, it gives me pause. I wasn't terribly sympathetic because it's like, just do something else. Maybe you shouldn't be working in a coal mine or a yes. Ford factory. But it's not that easy, especially if you're of a certain age and you've, been, as you point out, if you've been doing whatever job for 20 years and you're the yes. breadwinner in your home, this is yeah. an awful position to be in. And it's always been oh, yeah. that way. Yeah, this was, this will be a big shedding of uh, economic value. So what's going to happen is it will get converted into a short term improvement on the balance sheet. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, um, in many ways, simply what you have to do to avoid the plane flying into the mountain, you have to throw a bunch of stuff overboard. So there's a whole bunch of that going on. And there's also a whole bunch of predatory money leaving cryptocurrency. That money is looking for easy exploitation, easily exploited markets. So it's actually a dangerous time. Um, you got to watch who's investing into you at the moment, I think. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I've lost the point. Back to you. Well, okay, so I want to throw in a, a fun anecdote that comes from, from New Zealand, where, where I believe you're in New Zealand now. Uh, yes, lovely country. Beautiful New Zealand, yeah. Although it's winter there, as you pointed out, because we're opposite. Uh, but it's always gorgeous and looks like this, like, yeah. like my background. <laughs> it's always gorgeous. You're, you're wearing your winter jacket, so. Ah, uh, yes, but just to give you a sense of that we even have winter, I'm standing here, it's 28 degrees. All right, it's making me it's making me feel more at home. I appreciate that. <laughs> I read a, 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 an amusing headline, New Zealand's National Party admits using AI-generated people in attack ads. Oh, yeah. Um, when I read that, you know, it seems like every story has to be about AI, but I mean, people have been using stock photos for the same purpose for okay. a hundred years. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. There is a fine point to make, um, and it can be found in amongst all the chatter and the noise. Correct. Audio visual means have been used to influence um, people effectively since the 30s. Great. Nothing new there. 
what are we actually looking at? What we're actually looking at is, I believe, a foolish staffer or an or a, an advisor without effective oversight using a free version or a one of the early crazy versions of a large language model to do something, then flows it through the quality communication process to published media such that the leader who had to front that had no in idea as to what had happened. That's the problem. Right. The problem is when the front person has really doesn't know what they're fronting. And it's an election. Oh shit, pardon my language. And it's not just an election, but this is a two party state. We don't have an effective way to really shape much more at the moment than weak coalitions. So this is therefore either going to threaten that party's chance of forming a viable government and what is a bit of a flaky democracy, or it's going to reduce its chances of acting as a moderating influence on more of the crazy parties on the right, mm -hmm. which is actually part of its political role in our system. So all of a sudden you can see how just some person well-meaning doing their job, right? Yay. I was just doing my job and you've done something really serious. So that's the least of our worries. Uh, do you tweet? Do you tweet? Yeah. Are you a Twitterer? Well, uh, yes. I, um, I left uh, Twitter because it was just pointless. Uh, and then when I, when Musk, purchased it my theory is he's after um digital payment infrastructure so i quickly rejoined mm -hmm. um and i use i use it as a um laboratory uh, as a just a porthole and i because i've known was as soon as Musk purchased it all of his business process changes would become visible eventually in ux changes and so if you know the UX change, you will know the business process change. Mm -hmm. That's how I, I'm watching what he's doing. Right. It's revitalized, certainly, or re reorganized. Um, well, so Elon Musk is, as you point out, uh, the I guess the co-owner of Twitter. He's also the founder of SpaceX and the CEO of Tesla. He tweeted at Mark... Uh, he tweeted at Mark Andreessen recently. I don't know if you saw this. He's the co-founder of Netscape. And yep. Dreesen had invited questions about how AI will save the world. And yep. Elon responded, how long until AI kills us all? So yep. my question to you, Rohan, is, is this a material risk? Should we be worried about that? Yes. Uh, the, the, un, the part of the question that's missing is over what time scale? Mm. Of course it's a material risk. Of course, we should be worried about machines killing us um, somewhere in the deep future. It's just a possibility, right? Um, but we can get there through a series of stupid errors. However, um, Mark Andreessen is curating the positive case. Mm -hmm. And I view this as a nicely prepared public discussion in the public forum that Mr. Musk has purchased. And Mr. Musk is therefore the negative case and therefore he certainly the has yep between the two um we can have a curated conversation and so therefore this is a test of twasker twitter under musk uh twitter's ability to convene a public discussion after the dissenters um uh comedy hour. oh sorry um election launch um you know we can see they're trying to move into this space, and I'm interested to see if they can do it properly and safely. So when I think of the AI, or, or when anybody thinks of AI, they often talk about the genies out of the bottle. But I, I don't think that's just a, a turn of phrase. I think it's a very apt comparison to the kinds of problems we can get into with AI. Because you have this very powerful force that's ostensibly under your control. But when you give it the wishes, you have to be very explicit 
because if it if you can't turn it off, if, you, if there's no backseas, it can you know the, the, all the genie jokes wind up with that third wish boomeranging somehow on on the person, and and we're worried. And so the the perfect uh, kind of boomerang, I'm going from genies to boomerangs to paper clips now. Um, you, I'm sure you've heard of the idea of the paper paperclip maximizer. It's Postra. This you, is, you, uh, you have Postra. yeah, yes. So you you have a you, uh, a an AI at your disposal that happens to be more powerful than all the other AIs and all the other intellect on Earth. Somehow it's able to exert its will far better than anyone. And you happen to own a paperclip factory, and you say, "I want you to make more paperclips." Seems like a reasonable decision, you know, reasonable thing to ask if you run a paperclip factory. But unfortunately, you give it no further instructions. So it goes howl on you, and it says, "I'm going to do." What I can to make the most paper clips ever, and pretty soon the world is three feet deep with paper clips, and everybody's dead. That's the nightmare. That's the I forgot to mention to the genie that I I needed another wish type of thing. Yeah. Are you? Where do you come on that in terms of like when you when you say there's a possibility that it'll kill us all? Is that the mode you're thinking about, or are there multiple? Right. Modes? Okay, so that was a counterfactual taken to an extreme without interventions in the middle right so therefore anyone on the planet can posit an end state and then catastrophize their way to that end state and go this is how the world will end what is missing from that part of the conversation is were there levers to do something a human in or on the loop and did they do something uh, and that's actually an important part of the topic is remember we have just come through a period of extreme bureaucratic ineptitude mm. in an American presidency um, where ridiculous things were done, expected to be believed. So it actually has material impacts on normal people. Sorry, I uh, what was the first part of that question again? Um, well, I'm just wondering if... Uh... Is that the mode of failure that concerns you the most when it right. comes to ending humanity? No. No. Humanity is going to kill itself through plastic. Um, that's There are 450 million tons of it in, bio, in biomass terms in the world. We are vastly outnumbered by it. We're going to die naturally. The um, issue I'll, with... I'll challenge you on that. What yeah. if I can task AI with coming up with a molecule or a bacterium or something yeah. that will go out and degrade even the most undegradable plastics? Yeah. Okay. I'm here with you. Uh, if you can do that, then I'm on that board. I'm on the board of that company. If you can do that, because okay. plastic is my number one, my, well, my number two enemy. Number one enemy is light pollution, which is funny given my surname. Yes. Was... Okay. What is the AI? risk set of risks to worry about i'll stop dodging the damn question okay they threats to immediate um livelihood as a result of posing very easy efficiency gains to venture capital funded organizations that employ people that will also reach into the public sector which is currently in my country competing on the number of jobs it can cut for the common good, not realizing this is significantly bad. What's going to happen then? The second risk or the associated risk is a collapse of expertise in the back of house. Okay, so what will then happen is a series of technology failures, often in small places, but they will be discovered to be uh, have parallel connections and complexity terms okay so therefore <clears throat> they are entangled using quantum theory jargon they are entangled so if failure in others then if that hits an electoral cycle there's your fourth problem so we now are actually back in late 70s in the in the period when i first became politically aware of the minor, the mining uh, 
communities in the north of England fighting the English police and running riots. And that's where my family is originally from. So I was just going, oh my God, those are my cousins. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh my God, I realized this is close to me. This is suddenly real. And if I bring myself back to the point, where does it start? It all starts with efficiency gains and the fact that if you are working even low code or no code, you're very close to being replaced because your skill set can be delivered for 14 cents an hour. Hello. So, so um, this is a very exaggerated sort of asymptotic look at, at what happens between capital and labor, right? That Nice. As machines are capable of doing more and more of what humans used to do, the only people who will benefit are the people who own the machines. Uh, yes, this is an economic argument. You are correct. And that will will inspire universal basic incarceration. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what you've just done there is you've skipped the stone several times. Remember, there are multiple interventions yes, between yes. Schneidless Landed and, and Universal Basic Incarceration, which I love. I think that's great. Can I use that? Absolutely. We'll share it. Universal Basic Income, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What do I think of that? Um, after I stop laughing, um, I, I, I point out why there's a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I, I keep laughing. Well, thank you. Um, you you mentioned li- livelihood, uh, and I do I do think that this is, if it doesn't kill us at all, it may rob us all of purpose. I get that, but what happens if we imagine a future where everybody is a trust fund baby? That the oh, trust future, isn't it? is it? Well, because it's unavoidable. Either oh. we're either we're in prison or we're a trust fund baby. And and what if we had time to just be nice to one another? Nice, I get you. Uh, this is very good. Okay, so we are now missing uh, what happens when you get large-scale population unrest at the base of the population um, pyramid, right? Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, and you can find many in an economist and historian who will agree, is that when... Is up to a 7% swing in unemployment associated to young people, you will have unrest coming, mm-hmm. be it the form of Occupy Wall Street, which, if we recall, actually got quite violent. It was actually quite serious. Um, we've just recently had another explosion, a social explosion associated with police violence in black communities. We, therefore, are, need to question the extent that we're within an information cascade and whether or not trust fund babies are, in fact, a valid endpoint. Uh, that, just, that was me sliding the ball back to you. Yeah, good. I got it. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm just spinning it here. Um, so when we talk about... I'll bring it back to the paperclip maximizer or optimizer question. Um, I actually think we already have a paperclip maximizer problem, and that's called corporations. Gotcha. A corporation is a hyper-intelligent, theoretically. I mean, if we we imbue uh, machines with any intelligence, we can... uh, can say a building with 100 or 10,000 very clever people is smarter than any individual. Right? Maybe not more moral, but more, but smarter, and certainly more powerful. They just spoke. Right. Because they, because they have been given a single instruction, which is make money yeah, for they're, their holders. They're outside. They, they just don't have connection to 8,000 years of recorded history and 30,000 years of group memory. Right. Us. And That's DNA, DNA full of impulses. Um, well, remember that each large language model is fired up only for that instance and retains no memory retains no memory of it when it's fired up in the next instance. Granted, although I think that's a that's hardly an insurmountable technical challenge. Yeah, I'm being mean. I'm diverting. Yeah, 
to like, you know, let's go back to corporations as. So we have the Pinto example. The Pinto example is sort of like a paperclip maximizer in that it made a car. It realized that it would be cheaper to fight the lawsuits than it would be to redesign the car so that it saved lives. I think that was a bad gamble. It didn't work out for them, but nevertheless, they made that gamble just as a machine would. And yep, so that was the representative example of their decision making. Yes. And so what society has done is impose rules on, on corporations, just as we might with AI. Is that a sufficiently, is that a, is that a, a productive way of looking at how we can control AI is thinking of it through a corporate lens? Yeah, I like this. And yes, you're right. So can I just come back to your original point? I am actually a capitalist and an entrepreneur. Um, uh, <laughs> I say the limited liability was company was necessary for the production of capital, which um, enables arbitrage and entrepreneurialism. I believe we may be talking of the post eighties corporate raider corporatism that has successfully taken over a large chunk of the business management paradigm. Like it's every. And I believe you are saying, yes, that I agree. That is a paperclip maximizer because they are, this organization style is extractive primarily. It doesn't care if it's leaving you with a million uh, used paperclips or a million used cars or a million used iPhones. Back to you. And, and that is one of the arguments that people have been making about bringing AI to the campfire with us. It's like the earlier primates welcoming us to the campfire. <laughs> we, may, we may not have intended to wipe them out, although we probably wanted everything they had. Yeah. That was a byproduct. It wasn't something we were interested in. Um, I forget where I was going with that. I'll come back to that. Well, I thought your last point is um, we uh, are, if we're not careful, we're going to lot of pintos um oh. with our ai um because our corporatisms are pushing us that way and your deeper question is are there levers or andon cords if we go back to the toyota motor corporation are there andon cords for people to pull and i'm coming back to you saying actually possibly no right right because an andon cord is something that's done in a corporate environment not to a corporate environment, or at least very rarely. Like correct. It's in the United way. States, we have we. I'm not in the states, but in the, I'm so close. But um, there, there's this corporations or people mantra that came out of the Citizens United thing, right? Uh, the Citizens United decision, right? Um, which, corporations and people. Yeah, well, they have free speech. Free speech is much. Right. Well, they're not natural persons under our law. Um, no. Would that just that fiction would immediately cease as soon as you come within 20,000 kilometers of New Zealand. Well, but actually, it's one, of, it's one of my personal modes of failure of AI is that it digs its way into the legal system and yes. starts, starts claiming its own rights. Uh, well, and, and if yeah. you want to carpet bomb the legal system, having a large language model is a great place to start. One that works day and night, practically for free. You are correct. Now, um, I'm channeling Desert Greenwood at the moment, who would immediately be saying that actually, uh, and Alan Woods, they've both said that legal corpus, working through legal corpus material is a valid use case for a large language model. I'm also saying, yes, and if that thing gets loose, inside your chain of evidence then your connection to ground truth is gone <laughs> and your ability to observe empirical change i.e impacts on the social environment is greatly diminished yeah so everyone is correct which tells us that our controls are present we just have to reorganize ourselves such that we can turn things off uh mode to get control of this thing, which could make us a lot of money and could kill us mm -hmm. anywhere in between. So you, you mentioned ground truth or some, I think you use that term. Is that close enough? Yes. 
Um, Very important term. Yes, ground truth. And theoretically, or one of the things I've been uh, thinking about, but not seen a lot of evidence of, is the role of blockchain in securing information. Like right. we could have a camera at uh, the next swearing in of the president go directly into a public blockchain. And so you, there's no, there's no, well, I found this clip and it's completely contradictory to what actually happened. You have a base truth to refer to protected by a blockchain. I've never heard of this actually happening. Is there an, any effort <laughs> to, to track things in real time and lock them down so that we can agree on them in the future? Okay. Being one of the early um, blockchain people, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and not recently a blockchain person, uh, I can say that use case that you just raised was raised, has been raised, and has not been satisfied. There are, uh, again, as Alan Woods would say, blockchain is a very expensive CSV file, i.e. a spreadsheet. Right. Um, blockchain has been demonstrated to be changeable quite changeable. And in fact, if you are able to seize control of the voting mechanisms, you can do all sorts of things with it. Uh, we are in fact untangling this with the crypto crash, figuring out that actually many of these claims uh, haven't uh, borne out to be true at all. Mm. So let's go to, let's take this term blockchain out and let's okay. say, can we obtain a public record of public matters? And funnily enough, this is on the Open AI Governance for AI Principles uh, grant, call for grant that went out recently, and they were actually wanting to know to what extent do we actually let these large language models mediate our truth experience of these events? Uh, and I will knock it back to you in a minute, but I'll tell you that the, the thing that I like the most, the single most democratic thing I've seen work outside of my country in this age of AI is the Iowa caucus. Um, you have to front this whole bunch of representative people. The idea, therefore, is as long as that's relatively representative, that person must front that group. Powerful. Mm. Exceptionally human. And you know what? That whole interaction can feasibly be recorded. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's the mode, it's the when. We know we can store it anywhere. You just, that's, there are many ways to store this stuff. Look at the seed vault in the Arctic if you need. Sure. We can space there. That was actually, uh, in my mind, a metaphor to. to this idea of preserving what we used to have, you know, a recording of things, you know, and it may be that, um, you know, how you can say to an AI, um, I'm talking to a New Zealand man who's uh, handsome and in front of a long walkway and wearing a winter coat, or at least what passes for a winter coat in New Zealand, and it would draw something that resembles you, but I could also have it describe what it sees. And so you say that blockchain is, or what, I'll go back to blockchain because that's the term I'm familiar with, um, is just a CSV, but it, it be, because it doesn't do a great job or it'd be prohibitive, prohibitively expensive to record 4K video onto a blockchain, but you could record a transcription onto the blockchain that would at least be, it may not be 100% accurate, yes. but it's 100% yes. not false. It, 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 yeah. you, can't, yeah. you can't revise it. You can revise it. Cannot. I know you just yeah. said that the blockchain... Yeah. Blockchains have been shown to be revisable. But only if the majority of the participants in that blockchain are willing to do so, which undermines the value of that blockchain. Correct. Which has happened. Which has happened, but Lock. they'll have to have rocks in their head. I, I would hope we'd be... I don't know. It seems like... That's what I say. That's yeah. what I say. Um, that's why I say... Yes, it's doable. It must be doable because we're still walking up to the pyramids and going, oh, look at what they said 8,000 years ago. So we know it's doable. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, but they were aliens, Rob. Blockchain. What you described, I actually like what you described. 
it sounds like uh, this um, uh, perpetually accessible RSS feed, uh, right. transcribing um, transcribing words. Now um, it is quite feasible, yes, to construct a recording medium like that. Correct. Yeah, we and in the future we may express it on a blockchain until it's problem solved. Well, we just need we need a, a country like the United States with a two-party system to both agree on that blockchain's contents, and what a what a wonderful world that would be. Well, because if if they agree to have that to be a repository, then neither the left nor the right can say it's a lie. You are very correct. You're describing my political position, which is strengthen the uh, governance processes. Uh, we, we, the people, can have confidence as to a set of governance processes to the extent that we have confidence in the people governing those governance processes, i.e. what's underwriting the quality. Otherwise, we were quite happy to watch these people throw tomatoes at each other. We, that's part of the system because we trust the system's working, that when we put whatever television show we happen to watch on... We can check back to, as you say, this immutable thing that said um, Trump tomato hit Biden in the face, Biden tomato hit Trump in the mouth, ha ha. Yes. And you can turn it off to whatever extent, but know that in the voting process, the um, the intent is being followed and uh, shown correctly, such that when you vote, you have some degree of facts up beyond I hate you because you're blue. No, right. I hate you because you're red. A more reliably informed electorate. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And just, hey, I will settle for more. I'm not actually saying reliably informed. I'm just saying more from our current poor state. Just have, just give me 10% change. Right. 10%. 10%. So let me return to a couple of terms you used. Uh, what can we learn from the terms human in the loop human on the loop. And then you also uh, shared with me another term that I, I'm now newly familiar with, that's society in the loop. What, what Can you distinguish and des describe those? Yes. Yes. The loop, as I was taught, refers to the OODA loop, uh, observe, orient, decide, act, a way to work through things. And then that OODA loop uh, was used to describe how machines can do this stuff for us. It's like making a machine and then we made it into software. There's still an OODA loop. But do, do we want the human in the OODA loop, observing, orienting, deciding, and acting? Or do we want just want a human on the loop, observe, orient, decide, act? On the loop is just stop. Boop. That's it. In the loop is a go-no-go -no -go decision fundamentally different go no go decision versus just a stop society in the loop emerged from in my world around 2017 2018 uh, as a newly minted fellow of the rsa i came across ea Rahman's work uh, from mit and he just extended the concept if you have a human in the loop the human could be a complete crazy person of whatever political dis description you're most afraid of. We want society. This is just coming back to your point. We want the means to get a sense that for our community and society, representative of us, was there a decent um, discussion? Was there, was there something? This is the point of was the community or the society in the loop? i.e., and for me, the classic case is Bhopal in India. Society was very much not in the loop when that um, acid factory blew up. Mm -hmm. So we are in this similar scenario, going back to your point. A corporatist paperclip maximizer decides to build something in your, in your land which, which delivers a really bad AI incident. They don't care. They've maximized their paper clips. Mm -hmm. I've lost the point. Back to you. Okay. Well, and, and well, you made a few along the way, so that's that's the standard for this podcast. We we may miss a few, but we're we're getting some on. 
an article uh, titled Artificial Intelligence and Keep Humans in the Loop that you shared with me contains this quote. At the pace at which AI systems are able to operate, the time lost on human decision may prove the difference between victory and defeat. This is this is exploring the the positive aspect, at least for the person who controls the AI, of ha having AI involved in the in military in the battlefield. Uh, and it it also suggests to me a slippery slope where it's not that we want to put. AI in charge of things. It's just that if we don't, our enemies will be that much faster. Amen. Yes. Where, where, what is the answer to this, to preventing it from becoming a literal uh, Terminator? Arms race. Yeah. Well, there's not much preventing it from becoming an arms race. I'm uh, sorry to say. I just take us back. Uh, I uh, connect to know many veterans, in fact, especially post-exit from Afghanistan, many of these service people are emotionally deeply over upset at having buried friends and lost, left parts of themselves there and just to leave. Um, I understand, therefore, the role and automated um, decision management system, ADMS, automated decision management system, plays in modern warfighting. It's actually very quite useful. Actually, or you just if you just really want to understand, just watch the movie Aliens. It will quite tell you quite where military AI um, goes and wants to go and will naturally seek to go. And so, so then, um, what if, therefore, as we're seeing right now, um, as the Russians have gleefully captured a, le a leopard tank, um, there's going to be an exchange of this military technology. People are going to recognize that, for instance, as usual, the Russians will be faking a whole bunch of things, but we'll have some really cool tech in some unexpected areas. The Americans will be largely technologically more robust, but has more to lose. So what we want on the ground as a warfighter, therefore, is very, very robust defensive tech and the ability to launch a really hard out strike. But by golly, I, I need to know. I need to know. This is a mixed target environment. It's what was in, uh, uh, experienced in 1943 to 1945, fighting up Italy. You had two sides attacking each other in neutral ground. Yeah. Right. This is a, this is a, complex target environment just the russians can fight like the russians but we can't we there we go i just identified myself the <laughs> americans can't yeah the ukrainians just defending themselves back to you um so i am not an ai expert i am uh, interested in ai and uh the more i learn about it the more i come to think that uh Two things. One, oh, AI, they're just like us because the way that, that we process information, I mean, I have the book Thinking Fast and Slow. Thinking Fast and Slow is almost a perfect description of how one large computer will spend a lot of time laboring over potential lessons, distilling that to lessons, rules of thumb to give to a smaller computer that sits in a car, for example. And so you, the, the car is thinking fast. It's just using rules of thumb to engage with the world around it. But then when it bumps into something or almost bumps into something, off that lesson goes, and then a new rule is written slowly. And thing, the, the more I hear about how, how even, even the, um, the antagonistic way that two AIs will, one will try to fool the other, and it will learn how to fool the other, you know, like it, very much like a Socratic method, right? Yeah. Um, so AI has a lot in, com in common with the way we think. And, and I think that's less to do, in my view, less to do with us thinking, oh, let's, we're the only, we're the smartest creatures around. Let's model AI after us as much as a universal set of rules around how anything would learn. Yeah, that's a good point. I love that element. Um, adversarial AI is the Socratic method. Um, you are correct. Okay, so yes, you are, you've, you've identified that 
yes, an artificial knowledge agent, a machine intelligence, can um, be quite similar to a human knowledge agent, a human intelligence. And what that means is, when I send you to the corner store to get chips, you might get into a fight and kill someone on the way. I just asked you to get chips, right? There's an emergent property to what you do. You're not 100% under my control. You are like, you are a black box to me. The longer I work with you, the better I know you, the more I understand what goes in and what comes out, but I still don't really know what's going on inside. It's very, very apt, very apt analogy because you are now effectively sending a small motorized vehicle or some sort of bipedal vehicle into a human space. And this is, this I think is my main point. I'm actually neutral as to, in this regard, Com competitions between human and artificial knowledge agents and their interactions. I'm just pointing out when the machine one collides with a human one, I know who's going to lose. Right. Right. It's but what I, and of course, yeah, sorry, back to you. Well, I just think that the challenge that raises for me is all uh, that the silver bullet or, or a, a silver colored bullet that people present is explainable AI. Yes. And I think that's a losing battle because the more the the smarter these things get, um, the more the more emergent their their characteristics. Like we didn't program it; yes. we, it's a learning yes. machine. And okay. so, what do we? That comes back to treating AI like a corporation, in my view, because we don't expect to be able to intervene in every thought it ever had, only on the outcomes. I like this. I say, follow this analogy, Tim. I say, follow it. Okay, I had some work on this. I literally had a job, openness and transparency, um, with a Ministry of Education, as it turns out. Okay, on the topic of explainable AI, there are limits to explainability. There are limits to being explained. Some of us have very little capacity to be explained. Even to ourselves. Some topics can't be explained. They can't be solved in normal time. They just take forever to solve. So then, yes, there is this thing called emergence, a curious phenomenon um, with some large language models at the very peak, um, at the very edges of weird distributions, and they're able to do weird things. However, at this stage, I don't necessarily connect the two. I would simply say that we, as human knowledge agents, simply need to lift our engagement with the topic as it relates to us, because then we already know what we know, we're just looking to see how much AI is in there now, and then we'll find more AI than we thought. We have already explained a lot of the AI in terms of our lived experience because we know why we're interested in it if we just uh if we just work through ai from the abstract we will just stay in use cases and spreadsheets and uh epistemically be wrong Whew, i covered a lot there that was a tough you question you did you did yeah explainable ai partially done doable well i still i'm not a hundred percent convinced. Um, I, I, I should try to find this. It's not fair. I should sh share this article I, I came across where they talked about um, a couple of things. One is that if they divide up a task for a learning language model, like you would mm -hmm. with a child doing their homework, show your mm -hmm. work. So you divide the task, you say, uh, if the train leaves is Toledo at so many miles an hour, and then it has to kind of make that word problem into a number problem. And then it has to solve the number problem, et cetera, et cetera. We, we ask humans to break down the work so that we can explain what they're doing. And also what they're doing explains back to them how they're doing it. So they found a couple of interesting things. Um, the example of the train leaving Toledo may not be the best one, but what they, they found a couple of things. One is they could nudge the AI into producing better results if it broke the problem down. It was dramatically more accurate. The second thing that I think is really interesting is that it would lie and say it would it would 
it would do um, post hoc justifications of the logic leaps that it made, just like we do. And it, yep. it strikes me that it's the same problem that we have with HR. HR, <laughs> you, give, you give HR a rubric, right? You say, are they presentable? Are they timely? Are they, do they have the skills? Do they have the, the yes. education? And you just say, well, I'm going to give them six, seven, 10, and then you score it. And it looks much more justifiable, explainable. Yes. Yes. And yet, and yet you've never hired, you've never hired a black person. Great. Right. So you're fudging the numbers along the way. And again, it just comes back to this dismay that I have that you can't really, even if you attempt to break things down to be explainable, it's going to fudge the exp the explanation. And so in the end, you can only hold its feet to the fire with results. That, my friend, is interference with the chain of evidence and the lack of connection to ground truth, which we touched on before. Um, in this example, you've recognized that there is an you are in what's known as an information cascade. You are just tumbling downhill and you don't know, don't know what's real no more. Um, your 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 main point is well made and well taken that the corporatist mentality is in fact already um, some sort of aggressive AI creature and now it's deploying AI to um, be nice to us. Uh, to what extent should we trust them? To what extent are we being backed up by people that can help us? These are bloody great questions. Um, but let's go back to this quest, this deeper question that remains unanswered with you. Come on, let's let's try right, and again. let's try and get to the nub of that in this call. Right. Okay. Well, um, I think we've sort of settled on at least uh, the possibility that we can only address results, not process. I think I okay. I've I've tabled that, and you've said you haven't knocked it off the table. Let's leave it there. But uh, there was a quote in an article that you referred to in LinkedIn, uh, Rima Pate. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Pate? Yeah. I don't know. Associate Patel. Patel. Oh, I, I transcribed. Anyway, Rima Patel, yeah. uh, the associate director at the Ada Lovelace Institute, wrote that we should, quote, start with the vision of the society we wish to create and then ensure technology reflects that vision. That's exactly what this podcast is trying to do. But yeah. here's what's incredibly difficult about that. We can't agree on the flavor of a sandwich anymore. And so how are we supposed to, in a democratic society, settle on a way that lets us constrain both corporate and AI activity and results effectively? Oh, let's restate that. How can... We'll definitely get that from the trans transcription. Mm -hmm. Do quickly give us that restatement again. So I guess what I'm getting at is with a society so divided, how can we act on Rima Patel's argument that we should start with the vision of what society we want to create? When there is no shared vision. How do we get to that shared vision such that we can take Rima Patel's advice? Exactly. You've got it. This advice is was good at the time, is naive now. Um, the that cat's out of the bag. The um, I will answer that. I I say that we are seeking synchrony, synchronization. I say that there is very little chance that we're all going to agree on even a few things. But I'm saying that there is actually a lot of chance that most of us agree will agree with most of us on some good things. Fair. Okay. And so I believe, and I've got a paper up to um, Digital Society with that in mind, and they are very hard to get papers to, so I've done that last year, that actually these principal network, these principal frameworks that are motivating the AI tools getting directed to us can be synchronized. They can be synchronized. That means I, for any conference, I can walk in and not and, uh, insult the Chinese and not insult the French and not insult all these other people because I know that we're all there for just a few things and we already know that to some degree we're all going to disagree. 
but we are focused on these things that we hold in common. And if we really step back, if the topic is the role of humans in the AI, then it is definitely in the human's interest to figure out what few things we bloody well agree on. And then we just get an agreement on that, as we have done through our 8,000 years of history, figuring out how to kill fewer of our number. So is this, is this kind of a global Overton window? Do you know that term? Yeah, I do know that term. I think it's a great term. I, I congratulate the users of the Overton window analogy. It's very useful just to recap for people. It's the amount of time that you have to actually make a meaningful change before a technology um, becomes hard in society, or at least that's how I understand it. Okay. The Overton window can be quite narrow. But here, Tim, you're just saying that the Overton window can be shared. And I say, yes, it can be. Sh it is shared. And that, yes, joint opportunities to constrain this stuff does exist. And we have multiple people in the world looking at it, all the way from the right to the left. Bunch of people in the middle as well, of which the OECD is literally the middle. Okay, so I am glad I raised the the topic of Overton window because I actually misunderstood it. I was not aware of the the time component of it, that there, it was a race to insert an agenda into an opportunity that's only available for a little while. I thought it was more of a, if we think of the states and everything's left and right, there's a certain zone where nobody's completely aghast. That's what I thought the window was. I thought it was a window between extreme views. But but what you're presenting as is more actually more useful to what we're talking about because if it's if it's time based if there's a limited time for opportunity to address these things we're up against something that's changing exponentially. My friend, we are not disagreeing. This is a yes, and I'm simply saying that what you described, which was an equilibrium between views, which is obtained. I'm saying has a time limitation attached to it. In uh, there may not be next year to have this conversation again. We may have right now. So that brings me actually to the fact that the EU just passed uh, AI regulations. Well, uh, that stage they have a lengthy and torturous process, and this was a stage that passed because large numbers of people that were opposed to the regulation uh, regulation. We're at Silvio Berlusconi's funeral. Okay, fair enough. Um, the, it's how politics are made. He's off to the bunga bunga party in the sky. He's off to his bunga bunga party. Uh, what a crazy... Or right. Um, but so it does strike me that just like a, a lot of these regulations that are taking on the tech giants that are largely domiciled in the States. Yeah. The EU is uh, less conflicted when it comes to protecting its own citizens because it's not at the same time trying to protect its own industry. And so it tends to be more muscular in terms of setting yeah. up regulation. Good but animal. the flip side, you see, you see, I, I saw some commentary or an individual commenting saying, well, there goes the EU's competitiveness. All right. Do you think it's possible for an individual jurisdiction to, to, impose limitations on AI and and not lose the economic battle. Yeah, of course. Um, that economic equilibriums are constantly shifting. We are always at one um, whenever there is a change on one side of the equilibrium, the market will respond. Um, we know this from Sorry to be uh, an arrogant, smug idiot, but this is um, no, this is financial economics. We we know this. So let me just come back to the deep the, the deep point, which is: Can the EU, as a price taker, and they're trying to they're trying to use governance to change the balance of mercantile power as expressed in AI? They're going to, and they're actually using China a lot more for that. And that's, there's actually a priad of these three approaches. So as they're doing that, can they shoot themselves in the foot? 
and lose. Um, yes, but so can each of the three polls at the moment. America is in a state and just it can't figure out how not to shoot itself. Literally, that China has just realised that oh my god, we're just running out of economic steam, and now that and Asia Pacific has returned as a a, a, a military flashpoint. So and yes, the EU is um, actually divided within itself, and like I said, a whole bunch of the right wingers were over in Italy. So um, we're going to be still stuck in this shaky shaky equilibrium. Getting to your point, the UK, the EU written GDPR, Global Data Protection Regulation, changed the game. Undeniably, McKinsey said so, and they're the third government in every country. <laughs> um, the uh, EU AI Act, I believe, from a financial economics perspective, is useful because it adds market information that I can now use to obtain a better selling position in my commercial um, positioning. I can now say uh, that, hey, this this act is high risk and therefore there is a harm priced to it. And once you have prices in these things, you can build models, you can raise capital, you can make controls and you can deliver safe services. That's my position. Okay, so this is exciting because uh, there, it, it, the way you're talking reminds me of carbon pricing. Oh, yeah. That that on the one, the, the incumbents will fight against it tooth and nail, but once it's imposed, it becomes another way to make money. And uh, so, way to fractionate money and loosen money to change the velocity of money and to change the transactional packet size of money sorry to hit you with a bunch of stuff but sure. the, the creation of these markets aren't always spurious creation of these markets from a national economics perspective may be to shake loose a a ball to put it simply mm -hmm. um antitrust work done via market mechanisms so for example uh, emissions credit trading between yeah. car manufacturers are a big reason we have Tesla today and why we have yeah. EVs today. It, yeah. It's sort of to shake loose a comfortable set of incumbents. And it led v um, VW to an awful emissions scandal that nearly mm -hmm. killed the company, yeah. which, and in that absolute fucking, oh, and, and, and screwing up the, um, the game it, it showed how you can get this so and how um, a, a modern um, capitalist leader like Musk can go yeah man you just created this massive market of course I'm gonna fill it and that's what at the national financial economics level we want to see right and so we so the reason to bring it home to the idea of there being regulation around um, uh, AI is, although it was imposed uh, and created friction for incumbent firms, Sarbanes-Oxley was also, it became something that accounting firms were all over and were able to, so the, it, it became part of the power structure. Yes. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, if you tried to get rid of some of these regulations today, somebody's going to say, well, wait a minute, we just geared up to do that. Well, if you try and stop them, what's what you're going to hit is the reinsurance market, and the reinsurance market is going to say you will absolutely make no changes to that contract. Right. And this is when we saw the Trump administration try and get heavy into Sarbanes Oxley, uh, and once they once they once we realised what that was going to do to the banking and financial system, we go actually, uh uh, that is not. Mr. Trump, because there is an even larger amount of money tied to this not changing. Mm -hmm. And that's how you move a financial market law. This is the Piketty argument also um, around just how to get a bit less capital in the super rich and just a few more money, a few more bucks in people's um, wallets because they're just trying to get their kids 
to school on time with food. This has been fantastic. Again, I have one last question, and it's a doozy. Uh, what can voters do in response to the growing impact of AI in daily life? Bring it home. Okay. You must check your news sources, and you must speak to more humans to share what's going on, because as we identified from 2016, the political discourse is being affected by many people. We don't know all these people. We like some of the political views. We don't like all of the political views. What if some of the political views we like are actually wrong? What if some of the ones we don't like are actually right for us in our family, in my family, in my grandparents? Who I might be looking after, etc., etc. Then vote. Mm. So you just jumped a little bit of a fence. So the first one was, hey, you're probably being bullshitted a bit. Just look a bit widely and don't be such an asshole where if you come across someone who's a bit different. The second bit is get out there and vote. You actually have to do it. A couple of hundred years ago, we would have been killed trying to vote. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if we leave it with vote, I would, I love that. I definitely agree with that. And I would like to say that I have known Rohan or met Rohan two years ago online as well, but at a point in time and it was impossible to fake with this level of authenticity. So I believe I'm talking to a real human and it's been a delight. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Thank My guest today was Rohan Light. Thank you, Rohan, for being on the show. Thanks for listening to the Humanity in the Loop podcast. The opinions expressed by the host and guests of this podcast are their own and do not reflect those of their employer or any other affiliation.